My name is Eric. I want to welcome you to E3. This is kind of the last week of E3 at the movies. We're actually, uh, there will be a second, um, there'll be next week as well, we'll be going to the Lord's table for communion. Uh, so technically that's still part of the series. But um, today we're going to be talking about Star Trek. We were, we were going to talk originally about Suicide Squad, which does have Will Smith in it, but we kind of made a change midstream and decided to talk about Star Trek Beyond. Before we get into that, I want to tell you about something kind of special, kind of cool that's coming uh, up in about a month, uh, and that is this men's, what we call an advance. You know, some people call them retreats, but so many cool things happen when people come away from their normal lives for a few days that sometimes it doesn't make sense to call them retreats. It, it makes more sense to call them advance because you move forward so fast. So on September 16th to 18th, some, uh, some guys from E3 are going to go away to Camp Weed. It's about an hour away for a few days. They're going to talk about what it means to be the icon, the image of God. And I'm going to be there for at least part of it. And I know Pastor Dan will be there. Look, if you're a guy, um, you should really kind of consider going to this thing. It, it, it's going to be a good time to just get away, get out of your normal pattern of life and, and kick back or relax and just interact you know, I imagine a bunch of dudes sitting around in a circle, probably nothing will be said, some grunting and some con- consuming of meats, I'm, su- I'm sure will happen. But anyway, do that if, if, uh, if, you're, if you're a woman here and you have a guy in your life, brother, sister, husband, or brother, husband, son, whatever, tap him on the shoulder and say, man, you ought to consider going to this. You know, these times are really, really, really powerful. So you can sign up at the Pathways booth. Like it's, I, I, think, I think it's funny that we're not even asking the guys to interact with CCB because we're kind of writing off that they can't deal with it. So we're like, we'll go old school for the guys. Just write your name on a piece of paper. We'll take care of the rest, okay? So uh, that's coming up in about a month. Look, it's been a, it's been a really big week. Anybody like back, uh, back to school, Leon County? Parents, raise your hand. How happy are you right now? Teachers, don't raise your hand. Don't answer the question. How happy are you right now? Um, Olympics wrapping up tonight, final medal count, I have it here, or at least medal count as of about 7 a.m. this morning, USA 43 gold medals, 37 silver, 36 bronze, 116 total medals, Great, Great Britain in a far second place with like 66 total medals, so... We trounced everybody as usual. We were pointing out to, we were actually pointing out to Levi last week, last, uh, actually most of the week, you know, it, it is so weird to watch the Olympics, especially the Summer Olympics, because like we just take it for granted that we can dominate in everything, right? And it's kind of weird, but then you have these, these great stories that come up during the week of countries that have never won a medal in an event, and they're so touching to me. I think the Netherlands won a gymnastics event for the first time ever. And you just see, like, it just changes your perspective on sport and on, and on our country because, like, we're just, we're just so good at everything. <laughs> and sometimes you just need to watch these other, these other countries and these individuals, especially, I love it when, when individuals come and they can't even field an entire team. You know, so, like, a lot of times in gymnastics, you know, we might have two or three young women or, or multiple guys, and they can all pat each other on the back. A lot of these other countries, they have like one competitor and they celebrate it like by themselves, but they're just crying. It really, really brings a lot out. And as Megan said, we also had cover to cover Friday night and we worked so hard on that, so hard. And it was so cool to see a bunch of people here and I actually met some people. What, I'll tell you what, as a, as a pastor, what makes it so rewarding is that when someone comes up to me and he says, hey, this is my first time at E3. 
And a couple came up to me and they're like, we've never been here before. And, and, and that's what makes it so rewarding. I mean, do I like playing guitar solos? Let's be honest. Yes, you guys know me well enough. And, and I love playing good music and I love playing music with friends. But what really makes it, well, the reason we do that is to make it easier for you guys to invite people into this space. You know, so people can see that we, we're not too weird. We're, we're weird, but only we're acceptably weird. And then, of course, um, if you guys follow, more, uh, more particularly my wife on Facebook, you know we sent our daughter to college this week. Uh, so we dropped Emily off on, on Monday and uh, had some tears there. And, and I was processing that a lot. There's been a lot, you know, so much going on. And, and uh, you know, just for you parents in, in the room or, or people who are hoping to be parents someday, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that, that raising kids and releasing them into the world, even when it's something that's just like the first step, like college. You know, it's one of those things where, like, it's counterintuitive. Because when you love well, it causes you pain. Because when you love a child and you raise them up, you know, fairly well, they will say goodbye to you. And I was like, man, there's not too many things in life that, like, if you do it all right, you know, the end result is like, whoa. <laughs> but uh, we, we did that this week, and she's loving it. And, and uh, she's, you know, let me see. what The tally of the week is like she's taken up ping pong, she played racquetball, and she got another piercing in her ear. So she's exploring the world. And uh, speaking of exploring, how'd you like that? Um, let's talk about Star Trek. Um, it, it's a really, uh, it was my favorite movie of the series. I'll tell you that much. Um, it was my favorite movie of the series just because I, I felt like it just knew what it wanted to be and it just was that. It was simple. It didn't try to be overly funny. It didn't try to be overly dramatic or, over, or even, it didn't even try to be like overly action oriented. It was just good. And yes, uh, the Beastie Boys sabotage was epic. And I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that we don't have a copy of that, but maybe we'll get it for the 11, just play some of the audio. Um, anybody... Re- Anybody remember the original series? Okay, like I'm old enough to really, it was in syndication by the time I remember it. So like, here's your test for the morning, all right? What's the opening monologue? Say it with me. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. Oh, we're, we're falling off now. To seek out new civilizations to boldly go where no, I know, that's right. (laughs) To boldly go where no human beings have gone before. Um, And actually, ironically, if you really consider the crew, it's not even human beings because they have like Vulcans and other people. It's like to boldly go, it's very diverse. It's actually a very diverse series. So, um, so I found this interesting, and this is kind of the theme that I seized onto as I was watching the movie, because it, it, it's really cool the way the movie begins, because it touches on how boring a five-year mission might actually become. Like the movie opens, and I'm not giving away too many big spoilers, but the movie actually opens up with Kirk and some of the other crew members dwelling on, my gosh, am I bored? Can we go home? Because five years is a long time to be in space, right? And uh, they talk about the monotony of, of just exploring and exploring. And then, of course, you know, uh, 
hello, you know, plot writers, and it's not boring anymore. <laughs> and I, I want to take a look at this little aspect of uh, what it means to boldly go and even the tension of, of boredom and monotony. And I want to do that through a text in the book of Acts. You know, I've just been, have been coming constantly back to the book of Acts lately. And uh, if you want to turn to your Bibles, it's going to be in Acts 8. And I want to tell you that this is going to be in the spirit of E3 at the movies. This message is going to be a two-parter. So we're going to do one part this week, and then there's going to be a sequel, hopefully better than Independence Day, <laughs> next week. So come back next week, and that's going to be communion. Like I said, we're going to go to the table. So we're going to take a look at this text in Acts through two different perspectives, one today and one next week. We're going to pick up the story uh, in uh, verse 26, chapter 8. So I'm just going to read through the text, and we'll make some comments. As for Philip, uh, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So that's the text. And the two perspectives that I want to take um, in a way are, I want to take this week to talk about Philip's role in the story. And then next week we're going to talk about the eunuch's role in the story. Uh, and Philip is an interesting guy in, in the book of Acts. He, he appears in just a few chapters, and he kind of looms very large in a few chapters. We first hear about Philip's in Acts chapter 6, where he first appears on the scene as a guy who is identified as a person who uh, is going to help the apostles essentially distribute food. And he's considered to be a, a pretty wise person, a person who's full of the, whole, full of the Holy Spirit, and then just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 8, we're told that, that Philip emerges preaching the gospel in Samaria. And so if you know the story of Acts, you actually know this is a pretty big deal because the, the Christian movement starts out in Jerusalem as a, as, a, as a Jewish movement. And the Jewish folks did not like the Samaritans. It was a, it was a, it was a cultural barrier, a cultural divide, an ethnic divide. 
And Philip's one of the first people that cross this divide and go to Samaria and he preaches the gospel. And so this is actually, Philip has a vital role in, in spreading the gospel, spreading the story of Jesus and the story of the church from Jerusalem eventually to the ends of the earth. And uh, there's some really cool stories of some supernatural interactions and battles essentially that, that Philip has to, to fight. And then we get here to Acts 8 and uh, this crazy story where Philip, Philip is hanging around and all of a sudden an angel tells him to do this. The Spirit of the Lord tells him to do this, goes and interacts with this guy. And then uh, the Spirit, tells, you know, he's just snatched away. And so, you know, to make the connection with the movie a little bit explicit, Philip boldly goes. He boldly goes. The Spirit says, look, go down to this road. And Philip says, all right, I'll go. And then the, Philips, and then the Spirit says, uh, and the Spirit and the angel, they're essentially synonymous in this story. The Holy Spirit and an angel of God, they, they sort of behave the same way. They're not always the same, but in this story, they're essentially synonymous. The Spirit says, go talk to that guy in the chariot. Philip boldly goes, okay, I'm gonna go. He goes. He has this amazing, crazy interaction where uh, it's like the easiest conversion story in the history of mankind, right? You know, he walks up and the guy's like, hey, can you tell me who this is about? The guy's about Jesus. He's like, let's do this thing. Let's get baptized. Um, if it only was all, always that easy, right? So Philip is sort of this model for uh, boldly going, right? And, um, and the thing that causes him or the person that causes him to boldly go is the Holy Spirit, right? So I said we're gonna talk about Philip, but what we really wanna talk about today, what I really wanna talk about today, and I have the microphone, is the Holy Spirit, all right? Because this is the person, the thing, that leads Philip into this amazing interaction, okay? And uh, let's just start off with the basics. Holy Spirit, Spirit uh, is associated with two words in the Bible. The Hebrew word is ruach, which is a great word. The Greek word is pneuma, all right? Uh, just very basic. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. Now, essentially, the Holy Spirit means a few different things, whether, whether the Hebrew version or the Greek version. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is associated with wind. It's associated with the force of God. It's associated with even gale force storms. It's associated with, the, with God's essence, with God's spirit. All right? It, and the Holy Spirit uh, threads through the Bible from Genesis 1 all the way to the very end. And so uh, what I wanna do is kind of walk through like what the role of the Spirit is if you just did a quick survey of the Bible. So in other words, if you looked at Genesis 1, you would find the Spirit of God actually right there in Genesis 1 as a co-creator with God of the entire universe. So the Holy Spirit is a creator John 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is your guide and an advocate. The sense there is almost like a legal advocate, a lawyer advocating for you. John 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a revealer of truth. The Spirit of God inside you revealing God's truth to you. Romans 8, 
Paul says that the Holy Spirit is a guide, almost like the pillar of fire in Exodus. But this is the cool part. I love this. He also says the Holy Spirit prays with you. So sometimes Paul says, look, we get into situations where we don't even know what to pray. How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you are so wrapped up in in anxiety or pain or sadness or sorrow and all you can do is just sit there with your head in your hands? Paul says at that moment, guess what? The Spirit is interceding, talking to God for you. When we run out of words, I love that. The Spirit is a praying entity for us. And then uh, Acts 2, we're told that the Holy Spirit brings this amazing power to the church. You know, it comes in this, this really, really fantastic vision of flames coming down on people. And all of a sudden, people can speak other languages. And then the rest of the book of Acts is filled with amazing stories that are associated with the Holy Spirit. Healings, you know, crazy things happening. And, and Philip's story is one that is, um, if the Spirit was not working in Philip and not speaking to Philip, and if Philip wouldn't have been listening, maybe this story doesn't even make it in the Bible, okay? <clears throat> so a long time ago, years ago, uh, Pastor Mark uh, was speaking on, on the Holy Spirit, and he had this illustration, and I've heard other people give this uh, as well, and he, he basically kind of drew this thing, I think he had a marker, and he said, look, there's this place where we think we live, everyday reality, okay? And then he said there's this other zone, and he wrote on this piece of paper where the magic happens. Anybody remember this when he gave this talk? He said, where the magic happens. And I just kind of wrote in there, like, that's the Holy Spirit zone. In the spiritual life, life of faith is a constant calling out to to the zone where the Holy Spirit is residing. In Star Trek terms, we would say we are always called to boldly go, right? And we think that life is full of this monotonous kind of day-to-day existence. And and then sometimes it it gets dangerous because we think that the Holy Spirit zone is this special church zone, right? So the Holy Spirit, you know, when we're we're extra good Christians, when we have our best, best Christian clothes on, or when we read our Bible for 15 minutes extra, that's gonna get us into the Holy Spirit zone. And we think somehow the danger is that we we wall off our everyday existence from the place that the magic happens. But I want to suggest to you that something really, really cool is also operating in in association with the Holy Spirit. And, And it comes from the idea that there's one more definition of the Holy Spirit. One more, one more actually, um, um, use and and employment of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and it comes in Genesis 2. And in Genesis 2 is when God creates humanity. And he forms us, and then it says he breathes his breath into us. And you know that's the same word. It's the same word. And so there's this suggestion that to breathe, to exist, to live. Everybody breathing in this room? To exist 
and breathe is to dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I might say it this way. Uh, we live in the magic zone. We don't ratchet ourselves up. We don't read our Bible. We don't, we don't have to kind of... Uh, push ourselves into this zone of, of supernatural potential. We live there because God breathed his pneuma, his ruach into us. That blows my mind if I think about it. And we turn back to Philip and what we realize is that like Philip is entirely comfortable in this zone. Right, we, we talked about how sometimes to boldly go on a five-year mission, life gets a little bit monotonous. Anybody ever experienced monotony in life? Yeah, you get up and you think, oh, here I go. Same old story, new week, you know? New school year, same problems, same, same kids I have to deal with. Same, that, that, that person in the cubicle next to me, oh my gosh, are they still in the cubicle next to me? They were there last week, they're probably gonna be there next week. Things will never change, and yet... I think what the, what the Holy Spirit tells us is that it doesn't have to be that way. A monotonous life really doesn't have to exist in the universe of a believer. And Philip is entirely comfortable with this, I think. Even if you look at his life, like Philip somehow, he hangs out over here and, and in Acts 6 where said, he's like, hey, Philip, can you help us give food to people? And Philip's like, Okay, man, I'm down with it. I'll do it, whatever you ask. And we're told that he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's listed right after Stephen and in the Bible. Orders of names are important. So Stephen is really important in the book of Acts. Philip is the second guy listed. Then in Acts 8, God's like, hey, Philip, why don't you go to Samaria? And you know what Philip says? All right, man, let's do it. It's one adventure after another. And then Acts 8, Philip Go run over, go run down to Gaza. Okay. Philip, go talk to that guy in the chariot. Okay. So the issue really becomes not so much uh, is life exciting or not. It really becomes are we listening or not? Because some of us have bought into the idea that, that we're on a 75-year a mission <laughs> And we're bored out of our skulls already. And yet, there's this zone that is waiting for us. And sometimes it's pretty scary. Um, when I, uh, for a while in Chicago, I played, uh, I played a lot of different kinds of gigs. I, I was a professional musician for a while. And I had this gig once, and we actually played on a, on a cruise ship that sailed out of Navy Pier in Chicago, um, and we did weddings and stuff like that. And they said, hey, for this, for this gig, you have to have a black suit. And, and uh, we were really strapped for cash. I didn't have a black suit. We couldn't buy a black suit. Um, but my dad was retiring or moving into retirement. I said, Dad, you have a suit? And he said, yeah, I've, I've got a black suit. So this was my father's suit. And he, and he uh, we, you know, we got it from him somehow, I don't remember how. And this was the suit that I was going to wear for the gigs that I had to, to play, you know? And um, hear me out on this. Like, 
I know there are things like tailors. I know tailors exist, right? But, but please understand me that we had no money for a tailor, okay? That didn't exist in our universe. The suit was what it was. And when I first put on the suit, it wasn't very comfortable, all right? Um, my father was a slim man, and, and it was a couple inches slimmer than me. Um, and I put the suit on, and, you know, and the sleeves are just, you know, you know guys, whenever you have, like, a suit, and the, and the sleeves aren't really short, but they're just, like, a half inch too short, and you're just kind of aware of it, and you feel like, you know, you got to walk around like this. Like, there were aspects of wearing the suit that just weren't comfortable to me for a long time. I sometimes feel like that's the way we look at the spiritual life. And that's the way we look at life in, in, with the Spirit. We know we're going to be called to things. We know there's an adventure out there. We know we feel that nudging. Hey, you should stop and give some food to that person on the corner. You should stop and have a conversation with that coworker. You should really say hi to more than just the people in your growth group during the greeting time on Sunday. But we go, but that's so uncomfortable. You see, like, I think... Maybe it's just me, but there's a practical truth that the Holy Spirit zone where the magic happens is not always a comfortable place to be. But we're designed for it. Why? Because God breathed his breath into us. From God's point of view, the Holy Spirit zone should be the most comfortable place we've ever been. We were designed for it at our very essence. But for most of us, it's like an awkward suit. And we're like, it just doesn't fit right, God. So here's what I want to wrap up with. I want to give you some practical things that I have experienced or that people have told me about, things I've practiced, things other people have practiced. Look, how do you get comfortable in the magic zone because it doesn't happen naturally, right? So here it is. The first thing I would suggest to you is you first just need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is already there. She or he, and, 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 and the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a feminine and a masculine uh, presence. She's already there. Okay? Don't think that if you read your Bible, like I said, an extra 10 minutes, that's going to get my Holy Spirit happening. Now I'm going to be there. No, God breathed the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus tells us that the Spirit is a gift. All right? Just recognize, okay, Spirit's already there. Second thing, but ask. But ask. Just times in your prayer life, God, Holy Spirit, would you please uh, make yourself known to me? Holy Spirit, guide me. You don't have to be complicated prayers. Just ask. Third thing, uh, open up. And what do I mean by that? I wanted to avoid a too churchy of a word. The churchy word is repent. Okay, but sometimes that, that brings, us, uh, brings up weird things for us depending on our church history. Open yourself up. What do I mean by that? 
I don't know if you're like me, but every day I get filled up with myself. I get filled up with my agenda, my needs, my wants, my desires. And one of the only things that the spirit can't work with is too much of Eric. And so every day it's my job to try and open myself up and surrender and empty myself as best I can. To just say, God, uh, this life is not about me. Holy Spirit, I surrender myself to you. Not my needs, but your needs. So you have to open yourself up to the Spirit. And for me, I have to do this daily. Most of the time, I have to do it more than just once in a day. Because I walk through half a day and uh, it's, I just accumulate self. So by three or four o'clock, I'm back right up here. And so I have to breathe out. Spirit, come again. Um, another suggestion. Do something in your spiritual giftedness. How many people here know your spiritual gifts vaguely? A few of them. Oh, man. Okay. Pastor moment. A lot more of you guys need to find out what your spiritual gifts are. You just do. Okay? And you can Google spiritual gifts inventory. Just take one. Oh, man. Because you will see the Spirit move through your gifts. I didn't know that I had a spiritual gift of sort of, uh, of, of, I knew I had this gift of playing music, but I didn't know the spiritual part of it. I didn't know how God would use it until I acknowledged it. I learned more about it. And all of a sudden, I, I, the first couple times I played music in the church, it was almost like it was a pool of gasoline and someone just threw a match onto it. I never knew music could be so powerful. Some of you guys might have the gift of service and you're not serving and you have no idea how powerful the gift of service can be. You think, well, it's just a cup of coffee or, or it's just mopping a floor. It's just doing whatever, serving people. No, man, find your spiritual gifts and just watch what God does with your simple human actions. The last thing I just want to call um, making room. And I, I mentioned sort of once the idea of opening ourselves up and emptying yourself so that the spirit can come in. But there's, there's a an ongoing aspect to this as well. And there's this concept in, in, in the history of the faith and the history of the church of, of something called the disciplines. And there is a list of practical ways to cultivate the Spirit's activity in your life. And some of these are familiar to us. Some of them might be a little uh, different. But things like uh, praying, the spiritual gift, Things like worship, and I'm not talking about like I get to check off the Sunday box that I was in church. I mean things like when you are sitting down and you just sit there and you're like, God, you are awesome. I look at your creation. I look at your people. I look at what you've given me. God, thank you for that. Recognizing that there is a bigger entity than you in the universe. Service, we've already mentioned. Just man saying like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do something. I'm just gonna mop a floor somewhere. It's not glamorous. Fasting, uh, celebrating. You know, we don't think of that as a discipline, but some of us just kind of like, man, there's nothing good in the world. 
And sometimes something can get unlocked in your heart when you're just like, you know what? I'm gonna spend some time and I'm just gonna celebrate something good that just happened. You know, a child's grades or, or just a good day at work or just the fact that you have a good friend. Let's go celebrate that. Things that just switch, out, switch off that self and make room for the spirit, silence and solitude. And then this last one, I just kind of throw this in. This is kind of a weird word for a lot of us, submission. And what that simply means is that there's a long history of, of faith of men and women who have placed themselves under the spiritual authority of somebody else. And historically, historically it's called submission. And we submit ourselves to somebody else's authority in our life to say, look, I want you to help me live the spiritual life. So I'm going to submit myself to your direction. I'm gonna tell you about the things I've done, the ugliness of my life, the good parts of my life. And if you tell me you know, to go have a conversation, I'm gonna listen to you. But that's hard for us, especially in the West, because we're individualists. And uh, basically all these things, they come out of this book. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. It's a classic uh, by Richard Foster. And I would encourage you to explore, and I actually got some copies uh, for the church. They're at the Pathways booth. We don't have a ton of copies. And look, if you're interested in this, I would just kind of challenge you to go out there. We would ask if, if you can make a donation uh, for them. We don't have a ton of copies. But if you really, really need one, like let me know and I will get a copy to you because it's that important. It's basically how to, live, how to live a life where we're comfortable in the suit of the Spirit. That's what we were designed for. Wrap your heads around that. That's where we're supposed to live. And it's supposed to be the most wild adventure ever. You might walk out of these doors in just a few minutes and God might say, hey, go, go there. Talk to that person. Go here. Okay, God. And your, your life and the life of somebody else might just take a completely different trajectory because of it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. 